Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I appreciate you tuning in today. This week, we've got more of a topic of discussion than a special guest, but I do have special guests, which I will tell you about in a minute. But the topic of discussion, as you can see from the title, post-race blues or re-entry. Re-entry might be a better description of it, but it all came about because Alexandra Houchin, who just broke her single speed record at the Tour Divide this summer, in an Instagram post, she opened up about her feelings after the midsummer race. I'm going to paraphrase a bit, kind of cut and paste and put this together, but uh, she wrote, I feel so lonely despite being surrounded by love. I feel like no one understands what I just went through and overcame. The post-race come down hits me hardest after Tour Divide. I'm having a hard time. I'd spent the last two months touring and racing, and now it's back to hustling to make some money and dealing with responsibilities. Post-race blues affects lots of racers. You're not alone. Re-entry is hard after a 2,700-mile effort. Now, I've never done a 2,700-mile effort, and even if you haven't done a 2,700-mile effort, or ridden across Alaska, or hiked the Appalachian Trail, or whatever for many, many days, it's not uncommon to have feelings of loss after any big event you've worked hard for. Even if it's your first 5K, or your first 100K gravel ride, or your first bikepacking trip to the state park 63 miles away, it's super normal to be overcome with emotion after a big effort and catch a case of the post-race blues. After Alex's post, I reached out to a guy by the name of Joe Stiller, who runs a company called Bar Yak. They make bikepacking accessories for, I don't know, pretty much everything bikepacking. It's been around since 2012 and he now sells worldwide. Bar Yak is infamous. And Joe, holy cow, adventure racing, bikepacking, they have been lifelong passions for he and his wife, Tina. They've raced together. They've created bikepacking events like the Trans-South Dakota. They've hosted bikepacking clinics, and they've guided tours throughout the Midwest. He's done epic shit. He's bikepacked through Vietnam, done the Iditarod Trail, the Colorado Trail, even the Tour Divide. I feel like his life inspired this classic by Johnny Cash. I've traveled everywhere in this here land. I don't need to go on and destroy your ears with my singing, but I think you get the idea. Joe is one of the OGs of bikepacking, and he seems happy to share his knowledge garnered from years on the bike and help the rest of us who are just getting into bikepacking maybe not make the mistakes that he's learned so many times over. So one of the things that he recently shared with me is the fact that, yes, it is hard to come home from a big trip. Like, very hard. In fact, transitioning from life on the road to back to civilization with all of its distractions and responsibilities can be so hard that it can actually lead to feelings of loss and depression. Well, I thought about this for a minute and I thought it needs to be addressed somehow so I reached out to a friend of mine, Rachel Moe, who's a li licensed mental health counselor. She's now at Thrive Psychological and Consulting Services in Wisconsin, uh, but she was living here in Des Moines at the time. So I reached out to see if she would be willing to hop on a call with myself and Joe to talk about just that. What is that kind of post-race blues? What is that re-entry like from a huge event from a multi-day event from life on the trail and how can you get through it what is it what do we call it and how do we get through it and then since most of us really haven't done a 2700 mile race what can we do to support those who do so i tried i tried to get joe Rachel and myself on a call to discuss just that. It, we had some technical challenges 
and our three-way call was kind of a weird two-way thing. Rachel could hear me, Joe could hear Rachel, Rachel could hear Joe, but Joe couldn't hear Dave, and Dave could hear Joe. It was weird, but anyway. So I have sliced it together, and and we are going to have a little discussion about re-entry and post-race blues with Rachel Moe and Joe Stiller. So we're going to begin with a conversation between Rachel and Joe. She's kind of introducing herself to Joe since I wasn't able to, uh, since he couldn't hear me. And, uh, and then talking about the topic of re-entry and um, what it's like and where it comes from and, quite frankly, how devastating it can be to some people. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a mental health counselor um, practicing in, in Iowa, and so we're talking about reentry and kind of the different um, ways that that impacts athletes having, having come home from a, a big event, and I know you probably have personal experiences with it, and I think everybody does to some extent of having, you know, trained and put in a lot of time and effort for this one thing, and then it's just done and there's kind of a a void and an emptiness that can sometimes lead to you know clinical things like mental health or depression anxiety and stuff like that so i you know that's something that's you know i've i've struggled with and i've had friends struggle with uh i truly think that's what was responsible for taking the life of one of my uh close friends a couple years ago Mm -hmm. in august um and the, the confusion is, is the reassimulation. I almost feel like uh, I could feel myself coming back into society where everything is normal. And one of the things, um, and maybe you can address this, is it's almost painful to see myself reassimulate into society, being the person who's in a rush to go to the grocery store, uh, get the mail, and making things important that were never important to me out on the trail. And every when I feel myself slipping back into the real world, normal world, whatever you want to tag it, um, I feel like that piece that I, I found out about myself is dying. And I think that's one of the things that hurts or I struggled with the most. Uh, Can you relate to that? Yeah. So like when you say there's a, that, that piece that you found out about yourself was dying, can you elaborate a little bit more of what that, that piece was or kind of what you mean by that? When you're out bikepacking, you have all, I mean, you become immersed with nature and all your senses kind of change format. Um, Your awareness of everything around you. Uh, So this was something that, and I think this is, I think that this is pretty common with everything in its environment. And I'm gonna pick these words. So with, uh, when I was in Vietnam, bikepacking in Vietnam and Laos on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, this is one thing that really confused me and I thought was really interesting. Every time we came into a community, there were three of us. No matter if it was pitch dark, everything, everyone in that community was aware that we did not belong, which always puzzled me um, because uh, it's total pitch darkness. All they, they maybe hear our free wheel, uh, they maybe see our light, but whatever was the, uh, the occasion or I don't even know what the proper words would be, but what we were something different in their environment and they were extremely aware of it. Am I making a little bit of sense now? When you are in a bit, when you're doing a big bikepacking trip or anything where you're extremely remote, I think that you start to become one with nature and your senses start re your body is always changing to the environment it's in. So your body is changing to suit that environment. And when you do a large bikepacking event and you kind of throw yourself back into society, uh, 
I mean, a lot of people who are doing the tour divide right now are, are, have to be going through that same thing. They get thrown back into society and then everything that was their norm is no longer their norm. And that sense of peace that maybe they had riding uh, uh, when they were in nature with one, even though uh, in an event like that, you come into environments, you come into cities, you meet people on the road, you have these brief relationships. Um, they're, like I said, they're brief. They're not an emotional uh, uh, ownership. I mean, you don't own that relationship. It's just a brief experience on your trip and then you're back into what you were doing. And I think that like your body, like when you train, your body becomes more physically fit the more you stress uh, parts of your body, your muscle tissues grow, mm -hmm. and your body is constantly changing to suit those needs. I think that contributes to those experiences uh, when you're on a bikepacking trip. And the longer you're on this bikepacking trip, um, the more you become one with that basically fine tune your body for that environment. And so by finishing up an event like the Tour Divide, the Arizona Trail Race, uh, you know, the Colorado Trail is coming up for many riders, um, that I think that's a shock to the system. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I know, you know, for everybody that engages in some kind of, you know, exercise or, or physical activity, whether, you know, it's just an hour a day or a huge bikepacking trip, it's often used as a way to kind of to debrief and kind of release the stressors from their day to day life and, and block out, you know, the problems that are to come later on. And so I can imagine after, you know, going on a trip that's multiple days long and having gone that that long away from from society and then having to to come back and deal with kind of normal stressors and and things like that i mean it's a huge it's a huge loss for these athletes and something that they're they're grieving because it was you know a, a piece of their life that was very important to them and a distraction from all the other stressors and and things going on and so and then you know it's it's over and they have to go back to their their day-to-day -day life and you know and it i don't think that there is enough awareness or education of what to how to appropriately grieve and kind of cope with that um i believe it's almost it almost feels like a piece of me is dying i'm losing something that i, I found out something about myself um, that I really enjoyed and each time I would go do an event and I'm sure this is similar with other people um, When you came back off of it, you remember those feelings and you know that you're going to go through this detox uh, From the environment you were just in and you you know This is a, a relationship that you built even though it was primarily you with yourself and your environment um, and now that's slowly you watch it slowly decay is probably the best way and that was, to me, that was always the most painful thing because I knew that I was reassimilating into society. And uh, I always use this as a metaphor and I don't mean it that this happened to me, but this is probably a good description of the metaphor is you fall into society where uh, somebody, you know, I don't want to, somebody flips you off because you didn't respond the way they did and all these negative feelings. and um you're kind of thrown back into that everyday environment where you know people are uh tend to be insensitive to others around them and you've just been immersed in an environment that uh you're shaping as you go and you're becoming one with it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and i like how you you describe it as kind of like a a relationship and i i've glad to hear you say that because I know it's like you know to a lot of people it's kind of interesting that they would describe a sport or a you know a, an activity that way but I think you're absolutely right and what I know about humans is that we're wired for for connection you know and sometimes people connect with their with their sports and the activities that they're doing you know sometimes with other people that are doing it with them and sometimes they they reap kind of those benefits just kind of being one with nature out there on their own but then when that is 
taken away they've got to find a new way to connect and engage with society and it turns out a lot of people are assholes and flipping them off and they can't just you know get out and go on their (laughs) 90-day cruiser again and so it's I mean again it leaves this huge void of like how am I gonna feel fulfilled and and connect and re-engage with society when I when I am coming off of this you know event that worked so well and left me feeling so full and so so satisfied it's a have you had experiences like that before have you done long events that so the longest um i've done is a few hours so no (laughs) nothing um (laughs) nothing uh compared to to what you've experienced uh but i know so i'm a runner as well as a, a cyclist a newer cyclist and i am a runner and i know you know from marathon training it takes up so much of my time as far as like okay i'm gonna be more mindful of what i'm eating and of my workouts and and things like this so it's like a 12-week block where it feels like so much of my mental energy and so much of the space of my life is dedicated to this event and every time you know the race is is over it's you feel the the loss of it and the the void because it's like okay now what am I gonna do with my time and okay now I actually should probably hang out with my friends that I've been ignoring because I got to get up early on Saturday mornings to run and and you know how come my friends have all these inside jokes that I don't have and but I can't go out and do another marathon tomorrow because my body's fatigued and I mean it's a whole it's a whole battle and thing to so Rachel with you saying that when you reassimilate back into society after you know a rigorous training training program for your A event, um, this could get you in trouble. Would would you rather have that relationship, or does that relationship mean more to you than your friends? Yeah. See, and that's <laughs> you're right. It could. <laughs> It could get me in in trouble. Be and there's like there's part of me, you know, here having the education and the experience with people yeah. that I have that I know, you know, like nothing beats true and genuine connections with other people where you can be, you know, vulnerable and transparent and your true self and cry with them and laugh with them and things like that. But running or biking for hours on end is a whole lot easier and yeah. you know oftentimes feels feels um just as as good and so i've you know i've found i guess for myself and i think with a lot of other other you know athletes that i've seen and people that i've worked with that we're gonna go to what's what's easy and 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 quick and um you know like athletes are a breed of people that can we find a lot of condolence and peace in our in our sport and what we what we do and so is there some advice i mean what how can someone cope with reassimilation when they're done with training for or putting so much of themselves out uh for an event or for because you know look tour divide is a great example because it's, it's happening right now we have Riders been finishing the last week or two, um, and they're going through these experiences right now. Whether they realize it or not, some of them may feel an emptiness inside. And so that's the first time I had this experience. I didn't know why I was feeling this way. And sure. uh, so what kind of advice can you give to people that are just finishing up the Tour Divide and have, have the rest of their summer scheduled with big events like this that may not know what these feelings are that are ripping away at them? Yeah, so I think the first step is to kind of acknowledge, you know, what what's happening and what you're experiencing. So often, you know, we feel things without without knowing what they are, where they're coming from. And so, you know, for the the tour day, it's a it's a huge loss. And so kind of acknowledging that that you're going like you're you're grieving, you're experiencing um a loss of something that was important to you and something that gave you a lot of meaning and and purpose and and fulfillment in life and then to kind of go through the steps of of grieving that and i think that looks different for every person um you know a lot of times i think it's it's having people to be able to kind of talk to and process through those things with whether it's you know people within your circle of 
athletes or, you know, a close friend or, or a spouse, I do think that it can get um, incredibly lonely for athletes because not everybody gets it or knows, um, People you know, what they're... Unless they've done what you've done, you know, there's almost like a brethren. I was in the military. And so yeah. I can meet a 70 year old guy or a 60 year old guy, someone who was in Vietnam. And we can, even though I was not there at that timeline, um, we could, we share a brotherhood and experience. And I think people are doing bikepacking events, big ones, especially, uh, especially the tour divide is an easy one to pick on because it's, it's, the A race for so many people who are bikepacking, you know, the people will spend a year, sometimes longer training for that event. And whether they finish or not, um, they're still gonna go through this process. Um, but the hard thing is, is like I said, that the, who can you share these experiences with? And it's usually, you know, only someone who, who has completed or someone who has gone through this this uh, experience themselves. So there's like a like a brotherhood in all these events, um, a little niche. Right. And I think, you know, the, the catch 22 of it all too, is I know that athletes are, uh, you know, and this isn't necessarily all encompassing of all athletes or all people that are participating in these events, but oftentimes they're a breed of people that don't, um, don't want to be transparent about their their vulnerabilities or their the things that they're suffering you know we're kind of wired in a way of let's let's show people how how tough we are and so i don't know you know how often these kind of conversations are happening with circles in within circles of of athletes and how often are people you know going home after these long events and suffering and and grieving and not aware that you know the other people they were participating with or going through the the same things and so i wonder you know how valuable it would be to raise more awareness within the the events or the groups of athletes them themselves to have these conversations and to be just as concerned with you know someone's mental health after finishing a big event as they are with their their physical health and you're spot on i mean this is crazy because if you go to the bikepacking websites that have, you know, like the Tour Divide has theirs, AZT has theirs. Everybody has these particular websites where uh, inquiring minds want to know and they're looking to see what other people are doing. What are you doing for a sleeping bag? What are you doing for a bike? What size tires? And nobody is having this conversation. Um, mm -hmm. So it's funny that uh, I brought it up today because uh, there were, June was Men's Mental Health Awareness Month, and I thought, you know, this is a subject that would be probably hit home to a lot of people, whether they're male or, or not, it doesn't matter. I think we all have similar experiences. Um, but then he told me that he had talked with you, and uh, yeah. you had mentioned that, and we don't, we've never met before, and you were also uh, making note that you know this is a subject that nobody ever talks about everyone wants to know your tire size what kind of tool you carry on your bicycle what sleeping bag but you know how do you cope with after the event after everything is said and done and alexandria yeah. just, dave told me that alexandria uh just made a comment on her instagram post or something like that so it is a real problem that i think that people are you know maybe glossing over or overlooking in this conversation between Rachel and Joe, you can see that they're talking about a thing called grief. And it's one thing to keep grief to yourself, and it's another to, I don't know, admit grief and accept help from others, and for others to recognize that grief and to address it. And so I had to ask Rachel, what do we do as the friends to support their grief and and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's grief you're grieving it's a sense of loss and how do we how do we deal with the sense of loss um, but I'm also wondering like just like you said when you get done with the marathon you're excited about it and you want to talk to everybody about it and they don't get it because they didn't do it yet mm -hmm. 
0.0001% of the world does the tour divide. So nobody's going to understand what the heck you're talking about. What do you yeah. think we can do as dot watchers, as friends, as family, as fans, to support those who come home from the marathon, come home from Ragbri, come home from uh, Tour Divide, and have that kind of grief? What do we do as supporters of those who are grieving? Yeah, so I think a lot of it kind of comes from from understanding that the you know the event is more than just the event for them it's more than just like oh i i want to you know put my my i want to show how good of shape i'm in or you know i want to improve my fitness you know like i think there comes a point you know like i tell people all the time like running's like running's not good for you i don't do it because it's good for me i mean it's good you know maybe up to 5 miles it's fine but after that you're just killing your knees so like it's not it's not about health anymore and i think a lot of people kind of they over they overlook that or it's just not not as obvious and so i think it's it's kind of understanding that like to these people this event it means a lot it's the equivalence of of losing a a relationship or you know losing a a, a substantial part of their life it's something that provided a lot of a lot of meaning and and fulfillment and so i in being willing to to listen and to have those those conversations, you know, with them and creating more of a space where people can be kind of transparent about their their experiences and feel safe enough to be vulnerable about what they're feeling post race and kind of what they're they're experiencing and and kind of I mean I think it just comes down to raising an understanding of how much of a a void is is left upon completing these these big events and and things like that and then just also kind of realizing and recognizing that that these people finishing these events they're going to have to find a way to fill that void or to get that fulfillment and connection through some other means and so um you know oftentimes they'll go and sign up for another (laughs) for another event and that'll (laughs) that'll that'll hold them off for a for a while longer but um you know also realizing that they're probably you know hungry and desperate for connection with with other people and um you know providing that that to them i thought didn't she use the word grieving yeah i mean that is a very good descriptive term because that's almost what it feels like Mm mm-hmm and I think, um, like allowing yourself the space, and you know, other people allowing the the individual the space to kind of to grieve that that loss and understanding how huge it is to that person. I mean, it's like it's the equivalence of of losing a a job or some other impactful part of their their life, and I think it's it's hard for people to sometimes understand that it's not easily replaced either not easy to they you know not easy to just go right back into to everyday life i've heard of a few scenarios of former uh or athletes who were formerly addicted to to drugs and it's you know the sport in a lot of ways replaces their drug which you know to me is very telling of how it's extremely difficult for somebody to overcome an addiction. So the fact that this sport or event has been powerful enough to help them replace their addiction just tells how, how huge it is to them and you know, how hard it would be then to find something else powerful enough to replace the sport or the event. Rachel, do you think there are things that athletes can do as they prepare for an event, as they're in an event to be ready for that grief? Um, I think to kind of, to kind of be aware and know that it's, it's coming is, is one thing. And I think, um, another thing is to kind of think about, uh, ahead of time, you know, like I have this event and it's a huge part of my life and I know, you know, when it's not gonna be there, it's gonna, it's gonna be a huge loss. So what am I, what am I gonna, do to make sure I kind of have a backbone when I, or a, I don't not backbone, but what am I going to do to make sure I have support once I finish the event? Um, and, you know, oftentimes I think that these uh, events that athletes are training for, they, 
seclude them from other people. Um, you know, they're on a rigorous training schedule and 0.0001% of the, the world is, is doing it. And it's, I think we can get so caught up in our, in our sport and what we're doing that we forget how lonely and, and disconnected we are from other people. And so I would say making sure to prioritize some relationships that are important to you, even in the midst of, of training, whatever that may look like, you know, whether it's making sure to hang out with a friend, you know, even if it's once a week or, or once a month, but just knowing that, that when it ends, it's going to hit hard and you're going to need those kinds of relationships and, and supports. Cause I wonder, you know, how much of the, the grief is associated with this, with loneliness of not, not having people there to share their experiences with. Well, um, yeah, I thought that was a very good descriptive term, uh, grieving and, uh, and that loss and in with grieving process, um, it disappears with time. Um, I liked what Rachel said is, uh, so you set up yourself for the next latest greatest and, uh, and have those pot, I call them positive distractions. And I use the term positive distractions all the time. So we've, uh, we bike pack quite a bit. Um, we used to be gone most of every month year round. And we recently got into a car accident uh, heading for Mexico. And so that's changed some things probably long term for us. But with that said, so we're, we've had that escape to look forward to. Um, mm -hmm. It's not as prevalent anymore. So we're always... Mm -hmm. uh, we always look for something we can do, but our, uh, we're physically limited compared to what we used to do. And that's all I'll say about that. But, um, have you, have you found a way to, to replace the, the void or to like, what have you been doing to, so what we used to do is we always planned the next thing. So it was never about, this is what we got to do. In fact, we call our home the base camp. And if you've ever been to our home, we have pack rafts, we have sleeping bags and tents for any season of the year, um, snowshoes, canoes, everything. So, and uh, a huge bike rack downstairs. So that was always our focus. And so whenever we, the way we would get through it is every time we were done with an event, bikepacking or whatever, it would just be like, okay, in two weeks, we're gonna do this. And so those were the positive distractions uh, I would use. And me and Tina have been guides over the years, uh, guiding uh, you know groups of 10, 12 on uh, pack rafting, bike rafting, trips, and stuff like that. And so I like to use that term also with them is um, positive distractions. And so maybe that's a way to get through experiences like this is look for positive distractions. Uh, where at one time it was like in two weeks we're going to do this other trip and so it made the transition from reassimilating not having to give that up because we're going to get to escape again and we like to use that word uh, in two weeks and so positive distractions when we are guiding people we always uh, make the segments or the trying segments in them in front of them smaller segments, uh, whether it be 714 miles is the total journey. Um, we, I like to have this thing, uh, this saying is five miles at a time and five miles at a time is a metaphor. And I think to reassimilate, you can also use that same idea and concept to just look for a positive distraction for now, whether it be a relationship with your kids when you get done with a, a thing like that, uh, a bikepacking event, or some sort of a life journey um, or you know when you're actually out on the ride and so that'd be a that's a common thing I tell uh, our customers and our friends that are doing events like the Tour Divide is we always remind them uh, life five miles at a time and yeah. Uh, yeah. what do you think about taking away that uh, reassimilation five miles at a time yeah, no, I think, I think that's, that's good. And that's right on of, you know, kind of finding a, I mean, we all need ways to, to cope and to, to deal with the world. And if we don't find a healthy outlet for it, we're going to find an unhealthy outlet for it, such as, you know, addictions or, or something like that. I think, 
you know, another question for, um, you know, you or anyone else completing these events to kind of ask themselves is like, what is it that we are escaping from? Or what is it about, you know, our life at home that we're um, avoiding and, you know, wanting, and that's not something that I would, you know, expect you to answer here on this platform. But if you were, if you were a client of mine, I'd be going, I'd be trying to get, get deep in there. Um, and, Cause I think, I think to some extent, you know, these events, they're, they're very powerful and they can add a lot of f fulfillment and, and meaning, but in a lot of ways they're, they kind of act as, as band-aids to what's, to what's actually going on in, inside of us and to what we actually need to, to deal with. And so just important for people to kind of, to think about and to consider as well. I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. It's a way to escape from things that we are running from. Um, whether it be everyday obligations or, yeah. um, you know, maybe, well, maybe in a small single operated businessman, um, we are a small bike, uh, company that builds bike packing equipment, uh, and we sell worldwide. And so when I want to go to bed at night, it is morning in Australia and 29% of our business is in Australia. So, um, probably for me is looking for some relief. Mm -hmm. Um, going on these bike packing yeah. trips, and and I yeah. love those interactions with my with my customers. And I, I'm a guy. Um, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's givers and takers, and I'm a giver, and I'm always looking for a fire to put out. And so when someone has a problem for me, I'm all on it. And if I don't have a fire to put out, I'll put theirs out. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. And so um, that constant stim stimulation of looking for a problem to solve is my nemesis. And so bikepacking is a great way to get away from that and not feel guilty that I'm not <laughs> helping somebody. So, yep, I think all of all of the above. I think it it depends very much on the the person and what they need to feel regulated and and okay in the world. You know, there are some people they that finishing a, a marathon, you know, is their their life goal and they, you know, they cross the finish line, they're they're one and done. They're gonna, you know, go home to their to their kids and their spouse and they've got a vacation next week. You know, they have a lot of other um a lot of a lot of other positive distractions or a lot of other sources of, of fulfillment. Um but I think, you know, then there's, you know, other people where their their sport or their thing has become in a lot of ways, you know, all of all of them and their only way of of regulating and, and coping with the world. And so they, you know, they they finish ragbri and then they you, you know, have to have a hundred mile race planned next week. And then, you know, and and, you know, making sure they've got different different buffers or different different outlets. So, yeah, I think it's, it's very kind of individual and a mixture of, you know, Consuming. genetics and environment of how certain people, you know, are okay with, <laughs> with one way and, you know, others, a, a different, a different way. I would like to say that I'm really glad that Dave, uh, took the bull by the horns and made this a subject. So, and brought you in on it, a professional. So this is. Yes. I think a subject that needs to be talked about more. No, and I don't think it gets it gets talked about enough. And I, you know, there's a huge stigma with mental health and in general. And I think especially mental health and athletes is even more of a a stigma. I did a quick Google search when I was um, prepping for this, and athletes on college campuses seek mental health help or professional mental health help at a substantially lower rate than the average. Um, college student and so I think that speaks speaks volumes to to how much awareness there there needs to be about mental health you know specifically in these kinds of communities so what you're saying is we are strong stoic don't need help as, as athletes right <laughs> no <laughs> I think we're strong stoic and we'll <laughs> we'll run ourselves to the ground before we admit that we that we need help because I mean there there's been enough now you know in the the news I heard of a few Olympians dropping out because their mental health got got so bad and 
um, you know, like we'll, we'll just keep going and going and going until we absolutely break, you know, and I think, um, Joe, your friend that you, you talked about who lost her life to it is, you know, case in point and good, good example. She, she kept going and going and going or. Yeah, it was uh, Johan. Johan. Yep. Kept, kept going and, and going and, and going until it. So I'm not sure if you know who Johan is. He was more known as the bike wanderer. Uh, this August, sure. uh, it will be two years. Um, uh, so during COVID, Johan was made it all the way down to the end of South America. So can you imagine the subject that we're talking about and the person that we're talking about particularly, um, did, this was six years of his life. And very, very few times he would take time off the bike and go earn some money. He went up to Canada a couple times and, and planted some trees to help fund his trip uh, until his Patreon got a little stronger. Uh, but uh, he was inspiration for so many people to get into bikepacking. Um, well, yeah. during COVID, um, he was forced to go through the same thing that we all went through, except for he was ripped out of that environment. Uh, he had to, uh, he made the decision uh, because of how things were down in Patagonia, he needed to go um, back to Canada. And so uh, I'm not going to get into his family relationships and stuff like that. And be careful about what I say, because um, I love him very much and I don't want anybody to take things and go in a different direction. Uh, he had was struggling well. It, it's well talked about that he was struggling with sleep apnea. But I also know that he was also struggling with reassimilating back into society. Someone who had spent six years mm -hmm. on the road. Uh, surrounded by the things he loved the most, um, and uh, and he he was someone who never asked for help. He was always there to. And if you ever watched his videos and stuff, everyone got a good sense of who he was. Such a kind, loving uh, soul that um, he was never one to ask for help. And in fact, whenever I would offer help, like, hey, your drivetrain is shot on your bike. Let me send you some new drivetrain. Give me give me an address. And I'll send it to him and he'd say, oh, no, no, Joe, it's, it's just that my bike is old. And I said, well, we can fix that. But he never wanted it to impose on anybody. Um, so anyway, it's a very sad. Um, I don't remember my mother's address, but I remember my last conversation with him very vividly. And uh, uh, he will be missed uh, for many, many years to come. So, And there's an, what I feel is an extreme example of what um reassimilation into society can have on somebody i think that proves the point too that it's okay to ask for help and if you know like i said about athletes we're athletes we're strong we don't need help but like yeah we do like we're human and it's okay to ask for help yeah. it's okay to not be okay yeah. and here's a guy who wouldn't even ask for help for his broken or worn out bike and of course he's not going to ask for help when his he's struggling with the grief of losing access to his trip around the world. Um, it's definitely an extreme case, but a poignant case for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the fact that we're willing to put our bodies through this, you know, crazy shit that's going <laughs> to come back and bite us one day. It says that we, we've, we got stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. A little broken. <laughs> well said. Yep. And that's okay. <laughs> Yep. Um, well, tell Joe I'm kind of wrapping up and I will um, give him a shout on Instagram here and we'll reconnect and then I'll get back to you, okay? Okay. So tell him to hang on here. Tell Joe to hang on? Yeah, just for whatever. I guess I'm wrapping up, but um, I don't know. I'm going to try and wrap up. Okay, so Dave's... This conversation. Dave's going to try and rack up, wrap up this conversation. He wants you to hang on for uh, a minute or so, and then um, he's going to give you a shout-out on Instagram to, okay. to finish things. Um, yeah, so this is going to be hard to weave together, but we'll, we'll get it figured out. Um, uh, Rachel, thanks tons for coming on and helping us talk about the 
kind of the grief we feel at the end of an event, whether it's, I would say re-entry from life on the trail or even just event letdown, whether it's after doing a 5K that you came off the couch for Mm -hmm. and um, you were able to run your first 5K or a marathon or a long bike ride. Uh, I remember crying after my first Schwamigan mountain bike race. It was a 40-mile mountain bike race and I literally got to the finish line and started crying. And so I call that event let down, which I think is different than re-entry. But either way, I feel like there's a sense of loss, a sense of grief. And it's those steps of the grieving process, acceptance, um, and being open about it that can help us get through that. Joe, any, any final words or anything else you feel like we should discuss that we haven't? Uh, no, I just, it, there again, I'm just going to reiterate how uh, I think this is a valuable topic, and I hope it runs through the cycling and athletic circles, um, creating some awareness for something that I truly think needs to be talked about and thought about. Well, not only do I need to thank Rachel, I need to thank Joe Stiller for coming on and putting up with these technical challenges. Again, he could hear Rachel, he couldn't hear me, I could hear Rachel and Joe and Rachel could hear Joe and I, but uh, so it was kind of a weird conversation. But nonetheless, I hope we brought light and kind of opened up this topic of conversation of, of re-entry from huge events to just kind of post-race blues and, and the letdown that is normal from that. So remember that grief is real, it's okay, to feel grief after an event. That's an actual, legit feeling. Like, don't feel weird because you feel grief. And remember that there's stuff you can do to deal with grief. It won't feel like this forever. You can handle it. Sometimes you feel like you can't, but I know you can, you know you can. Be gentle with yourself. Be accepting with yourself. Think in cycles, not lines. There's ups, there's downs, there's flow in life. Your feelings are so normal. Like everybody, I'm telling you, at the end of Leadville 100, everybody has a sense of loss. Everybody's big event is now behind them and they have to move on ahead and back into everyday life without this event dictating their daily activities you're not alone just remember that you're not alone and if you do need help do not hesitate to reach out reach out to friends reach out to family and reach out professionally if you need it remember that help is a simple phone call away just dial 988 and tell them how you're feeling and they'll connect you to somebody who can really help. It's easy these days, there's no stigma, and it's a-okay to not be okay. So if that's all we uncover today, then it was a great day. And, uh, and I really appreciate Joe and Rachel coming on to talk about what's not an easy topic. And I feel like Joe was so excited to talk about it because it's not talked about, it's not the first thing. Everybody's so excited about talk about what tires are you running? What pressure are you running? What's your gear ratio? Is your bike made out of carbon or aluminum? Or is it bamboo? What type of sealant are you using? Tubes or no tubes? All that minutia. And we don't talk about the post-race blues. So talk about the post-race blues. If your friend just finished a big event, Be an active listener. Use your ears, not your mouth. Like, just get them talking. They want to talk about it. They want to share their experiences. They know that we didn't do it, but they want to talk about it. And I know this from experience because I like talking about events after I do them. I started a podcast so I could talk about my events. I did a whole episode on Core 4 and Gravel Worlds and Tripless and Serum and all of that. So 
yes, I like to talk about it, and that's a way for me to deal with it. And it's awesome, and I appreciate you guys for listening. Anyway, there is help. Please seek it out and support your friends who just came home. Well, that is all for this week. Again, thanks to Joe Stiller. Baryak.com. If you need stuff for your bikepacking trip, look up baryak.com. And Joe, his wife Tina, will be happy to help you out. I love that about them. I think that's awesome that they're so willing to share their vast extent of knowledge. I'd like to have those two on uh, to talk about their experiences. They probably have about five books in them. Each one of their trips could probably be a book. But Anyway, thanks tons for uh, coming on, Joe. Again, baryak.com. Rachel, thanks tons. It was a pleasure to have you on and share your expertise and help us along. And I want to thank you for listening. I really appreciate that you guys tune in each week to listen. This is episode 91. It's hard for me to believe, but we are coming up on episode 100. Who should we have on for episode 100? Got a little time to think about that. Should be in early November, but I'm super stoked. I am stoked to say that uh, uh, we've got Schwamigan coming up, the Mount 40th anniversary of that awesome mountain bike race. Uh, Emily Newsom is coming up, and I am working on uh, scheduling John Borstelman, recent winner of the Gravel Worlds. So, some great weeks coming up. Looking forward to episode 100. If you want to support the show, I would love it if you would rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure and hit the subscribe button. All of that stuff really helps the podcast grow. And if you want to support the show financially, head on over to buymeacoffee.com and drop a few pennies in the coffee cup, if you will. I would love that. Just look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. And you can catch all the episodes on your computer or that little thing in your hand called a phone. It's hard to believe it's called a phone. That supercomputer in your hand at biketalk.bike or if you'd like to get your stuff on YouTube every episode is now streaming on YouTube thanks again for listening hope you have a great week and remember that nothing compares to the simple pleasure of riding a bicycle